This week on Tales from the Cosmic Bathtub, Matthew and I are joined by our producer, Andy, as we dive into the deep, deep well of information that comes from the exploration of the four temperaments and the planetary types as they are used pedagogically in the Waldorf School classroom, as we have experienced them in our own lives as teachers and as maybe a curious individual who just want to know more about them could possibly apply them to their life. We realize that we are just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement, and we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. One of the reasons why we wanted to dig into this topic and kind of give it some more some more depth is because it is probably one of the most common tools that um especially grades teachers are looking at to help not only maybe give some give a sense for who their students are but it actually really is fascinating how those temperaments inform how the teachers teach yeah and how a class is balanced yes yes and that a class should somehow be a balance between all of these temperaments and that one of the things that i think is the most important when we talk about temperaments is that steiner doesn't view them as things that need to be squashed or changed or manipulated that the temperament is simply a a way of defining what is there in front of you and that is the job of the teacher to work with what is there in front of you not to change it but to work within the temperament to best help support the development of that child right and then so and then for the child there's different ways that the teacher then interacts with a particular temperament whether it's being worthy of imitation or being the authority figure or being someone who has had real um, trauma in their lives and experienced grief and can speak, you know, to, in, out of out of a life experience. Empathy. Yeah. Um, and then as you grow older, then that that becomes the, the lens of a temperament becomes something that you then take up in your own self-development to help yes. balance, to balance yourself and to realize, oh, I usually work in the world in this way. And then the opposite gesture is something that you work on, you know, through self-development. Yeah. And then the shift, right, from viewing children through the lens of temperaments, then shifts when you go on the other side of, through adolescence and into adulthood. And that is the planetary types. Right. And those we will talk about as well. And I feel like my perception as someone who kind of even as a kid grew up peripherally aware of the temperaments, right? You just heard the words floating around, but I felt very much like the planetary types was very new for me when I went through my high school teacher training. And, um, and it was really like a fun idea to explore. I know in my training, we did our a final drama presentation where each of us took on one of the planetary types and we, the setting was a school store and it was like, you know, all these different people coming into the school store embodying the planetary types. 
in a somewhat exaggerated way, but in a very helpful way to at least get a sense for what they represent. And then, of course, the the school store attendant, right? The one who knew where everything was, who curated the space was the son, yeah. right? So, <laughs> But I think that it was for me a very new idea to work with that I had never heard of before starting my training. Yeah, and I just want to say this kind of one higher level, you know, overview before we get into the temperaments and the planetary types and then the zodiac constellations perhaps, is that Steiner was very clear that each human being is its own species. And so that, you know, there's no, I want to be very clear that we're, we're not like pigeonholing people into these certain, um, into these certain categories. Really, there's, there's a sun center to every spiritual being and and then it's really kind of almost like I view it more like you know wearing different sets of clothing, and and you know one day you might have a heavier jacket on and you know the pants aren't you know or whatever you're not wearing socks but you have a heavy jacket or something you and know you're not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's really interesting when when we look at at this as kind of lenses rather than saying people are this way, right? Yes. So, okay, so what and are, that, yeah, sorry. No, and I was just going to say, just to elaborate on that idea that it is so important that it isn't prescriptive, right? That it is, you know, th these things are in fluctuation, these things are in balance, these things sometimes get out of balance, right? These right. four different temperaments, we can see elements of them in each individual, but that even even then it is even when there is only a glimpse of one thing in someone right yeah. it is still a helpful tool to help best work with that okay so what are the four temperaments then well we have the choleric yep we have the sanguine, the phlegmatic, and the melancholic. Right. And so the choleric is often related, the system in the body is related to the blood, to the circulatory system, right? And mm -hmm. the sanguine is connected to the nerve, nervous system. Mm -hmm. And the phlegmatic is connected to the glands or the glandular system, often... Yep. Um, yeah. And then this melancholic is actually most associated with the physical body itself, as I understand yeah, it. And yes. And so even just moving back a little bit, I think one of the things, um, from Steiner's, one of Steiner's lectures where he really touched on this was that if you look at a human being kind of manifesting itself in life on earth, that there are two streams that come together. Right. Right. There is the the hereditary stream, what is passed down through, through a family. By genes. genes. Uh -huh. Yes. That is then met with a spiritual stream of, you know, this being who has lived this entity, this spiritual entity that's lived multiple lives, then bringing that in and that there's a um, kind of a. Uh, a kind of synthesis of those two things and then what manifests going outward then is what we are then looking at 
when it comes to the temperaments. Right. Right. So the temperaments is kind of the result of a union of these two streams. It's the manifestation yes. of these two streams working together. Yes. And so that the one thing that I thought was really fascinating is that in addition to these four temperaments, that each one is actually associated with one of the four bodies, mm-hmm. right? That as you indicated, the, the, um, the melancholic is associated with the physical body. Mm-hmm. The phlegmatic is associated with the etheric. Right. The, as- the sanguine is associated with the astral body. Right. And the choleric is associated with the ego. And when you look at some of the character traits that we associate with the temperaments, it, it really makes a lot of sense, those connections. Yes. The other thing I thought was interesting from the, the, the lecture you know, on the four temperaments was how there's kind of a minor danger and a major danger connected to each of these. So there's like, you know, um, and we can go through that as well. Um, yeah. Maybe before we go into that, maybe we should talk about the expressions of the oh, temperament. Yes, for sure, for sure. It's not like a diagnosis, but there are both physical and behavioral indicators that lead to maybe a child being seen as one particular temperament over another. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. So let's start with choleric. What are what do you associate with chol- with the choleric child? Fire. Yeah, headstrong. Fire, yeah. Very um like strong-willed. Mhm. Very confident. Maybe to a fault. Yeah. Unconscious to the physical world in some ways. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I mean, a, a character in history obviously would be like Napoleon, I would say. Yeah, that is so interesting that Steiner talks about how you can see in Napoleon the prominence of his choleric nature in his short stature. As like all of the attention is maybe like in the head, right? <laughs> you know that like then the limbs have been neglected. Yeah, <laughs> maybe as you know so that was kind of the example that Steiner used. It's good and example. so, then, what are what are then some of so some of the physical characteristics that might be associated with a cleric? I was saying like chiseled shaped features, uh-huh. dark eye. Yeah, aggressive. Um, they, they, clerics need to have their own way. They're, when they stand a lot of, they are very solidly on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like they have a very kind of strong stance. I would say, um, like very intent. Their eyes are very, could almost be piercing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then... Shall we move on to sanguine? Right. Let's do that. So sanguines, I think, I think generally, I, I, I think maybe like young children tend to almost all be sanguine. Yes. You know, it's hard to like, 
when I think about like, when do I first recognize someone as a phlegmatic? It's not until a lot later, like maybe, you know, you have to be like eight or nine or at least, or maybe even 10 to 12 or something. I don't know. I don't know. Like, haven't you just seen that, you know, I feel like I've met phlegmatic kids. Yeah, you have. I have. But it's like, what, what, what Most age? Most children are sanguine. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, slender body, lean, very light on their feet. Yeah, flitting, flitting, yeah. Steiner makes a comment that a lot of times they have blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, a lot of sensations, a lot of, you know, attention paid in multiple, you know, it's like, I often think of someone like, oh, are you paying attention to me? Or are you paying attention to the, you know, what's going on outside the window in the classroom? You know, like someone's attention is kind of all over yeah. the place. I think of the squirrel jokes, right? Like the squirrel, like, oh, I see something, just mm -hmm. run over and investigate. Oh, I see something, run over and investigate. That there's like a real spark of interest and attention, but it isn't held for very long. Mm -hmm. Really, I would say like outwardly sensitive. You know, it's not mm. like this, it's not like this brooding, like, oh, I feel bad. You know, it's more like, what's there? What's there? What's there? It's like everything, yeah. like, it's like, it's, it's yeah. external. Super attuned. Mm-hmm. Like, to the, to the outer world. Like, really notices. Yep. Okay. Phlegmatic. Phlegmatic. Very much connected to water. Also, mm. I, I I always think of water when I think of phlegmatics as someone who just likes to kind of rest and sit and seek one's own level, you know, comfort being a big adjective, I think. Yeah. Um, a lot of times phlegmatics have softer bodies. Mm -hmm. Rounder you know, bodies. Um, kind of rounder, you know, maybe... Um, you know, maybe less kind of of that kind of muscular definition, just being a little softer in their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, very like, mm, like relaxed step, like gait. They kind of like ooze from one place to another, you know, like yeah. very loose joint, loose jointed almost. Yeah. And I would say, you know, very much in the comfort, like, oh, you know, I just, I like to chill kind of, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, and really attuned to, like, attuned to their life force. Yeah. Of, like, really feeling driven by maximizing their comfort in their body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit timid. Yeah, I feel like the phlegmatics are the, of, you know, so we... The cholerics and the sanguines are like outward facing and the phlegmatic and then the melancholic are, are the more inward facing. But melancholics, it's not like they've, it, they, they're still, they're still seeking their balance. You know, I feel like. Phlegmatic. I'm sorry. The phlegmatics are still seeking their balance. You know, if, if it's the temperature yeah. in the room, if it's with food, you know, they're always like, where am I? Where am I in this? Rather than what's over there? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. where am I? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's an element with phlegmatics of not rocking the boat, mm -hmm. right? Of like, on with a flow almost to like 
not wanting to upset the balance. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to, you know, sit back and let things work themselves out. I don't want to intrude. I don't want to be, you know, a burden, like maybe, you know, being a little bit more withdrawn in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, as long as a phlegmatic is happy, then it doesn't really matter what else is happening, right? <laughs> Around yeah, them. Totally. <laughs> All right. Okay. Melancholic. Melancholic. Mm. So, I mean, for me, this is, you, you see these, uh, so melancholics tend to be, I also think them to be kind of skinny, but almost f frail, um, mm -hmm. bent over, kind of the world is so heavy, I can't lift up my neck, I can't, you know, just kind of like, oh, uh, you know, a worrier, kind of, what, what a, oh, woe is mm -hmm. me, what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of even the the opposite of the cholerics, kind of beady, bright, intent gaze, you know, a little bit more just, you know, not as not as outward looking. Steiner uses the word dull, but I feel like that <laughs> brings negative connotations. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean I would just say you know, it's all about you're you're trapped in yourself and you're you know, you've I think you almost live in the pain of of your life you know like oh yeah and i again we'll talk about this more when you start to develop like but i think melancholics can be very loyal they're very very loyal friends but you have to kind of earn you have to show a melancholic that oh you too understand that the world is pain and that you relate on a on a on a kind of worldly experiential basis yeah and it's so funny because out of all of these i mean i think generally the traits of a typical child we associate with being sanguine but i feel like it's the melancholic children that always stand out like i can immediately think of like seven or eight different melancholic <laughs> on the playground yeah and i and just by them walking across you know right All right, so you have these four temperaments, and you, I mean, I remember when I was going through school in in art, you know, there was like, okay, draw the choleric, draw the sanguine. And by senior year, we, we actually did a clay model head of different, mm. of the different temperaments, you know. And, you know, there was definitely, you know, you could relate, elements like water and fire and air to the four temperaments, a very Aristotelian. Um, I had a classmate who tried to relate the four temperaments to nature, but you definitely need a human being involved in here. But I guess my, my other point is that these four temperaments, you can see them in the shape of ears, in the shape of your hands, the way you walk, the way you sit, um, the expressions of in your face, the way your eyes are. I mean, everything, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a first approximation of, of kind of how you fit into this world, I think. Yeah. I also think that it is so interesting to tie these temperamental, the temperament classifications back to the different life bodies, right? Yeah. 
that if the you know if the ego is reigning so strong in a child that like you do have like that that force is then pulling away from the development of the physical body like it just tying that back to the development of these bodies it really for me makes very logical sense that there would be different manifestations in the physical growth right yeah absolutely yeah and it's it's it becomes a way that you can actually start to look through the lens of the temperaments look at the age of the student and say are they on a healthy path? It becomes actually a way to assess student development. You know, when does reading occur? And from judging by, you know, a, a temperament that might be before or ahead or behind what would be considered an, an average age of, of, of development for, per se. I guess what I'm going yeah. with there is that yeah. there's a way to talk about the health of a student or the develop the healthy development through the lens of a a choleric might develop in a different pace than a phlegmatic, for example. Totally, yes. So something else I just thought of is that through time, other people have kind of tried to explain these manifestations. For example, we have Ezekiel's four living creatures, right? And we've touched on this briefly, like we've got the lion, in this case, very bold, an ox, sturdy, the eagle far-seeing, and then um, Ezekiel has man as this, the spiritual, and that's the, uh, the melancholic, which you were speaking to earlier, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of a fourfold lens to view a, a human life through is, I thought it goes at least back to Aristotle, if not back to the ancient mystery uh, centers of the ancient world. Um, I th I think for me what's fascinating is to learn how to balance them all. So, um, like for example, uh, Steiner talks about how a teacher approaches a choleric. The key to a choleric child's education is respect and esteem for a natural authority. Right, a natural benevolent authority, I think, is the right and and. It w the child's, the choleric child's belief in the teacher's ability needs to remain unshaken. It's interesting. That's a really tough task. Yeah. I don't know how a teacher does that. Right. But again, I think this also speaks to why they say that, you know, the the kindergarten teachers are the most advanced. Right. Right. You need to be the most, mm. the most developed, the most, what's the word I'm looking for there? Um Trained and sensitive. Trained and sensitive to be right. able to present, especially those choleric kids with that, you know, yeah. unmoving force when they need to meet that unmoving force. You know? Right. So if you have to stand in authority and have this, the choleric child never question your, um, you know, your your authority or your your ability, did I say? Yeah, ability. Right. Then for the sanguine... You need to have someone who inspires. Like that is how the teacher approaches the sanguine child is through either telling a story of someone who is admirable and they can look up to. Um, but admiration is the magic word for a for a, a sanguine, right? Totally. And I think it's it's admiration and like attraction to personality. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you can see like the 
the interest in kind of someone's expression of being human. Yeah. And it's, it's so fascinating. The, you know, I think of, for some reason, I have this image of like the choleric student who's really good at math, you know, who just goes head to head with the class teacher of like, but you don't know what this, you know, kind of like testing the knowledge. Right. Mm. And that when the teacher can, you know, really stand on their own with a cleric, then that respect is there, right? And they're really cooperative. And they almost step then into a leadership role, right? But then it's like, if that respect is not earned, if the teacher is found lacking in their ability, then they become like a counterforce. Yeah. Well, I think then the, the cleric can say, oh, actually, I know more than my teacher, and what am I going to learn? What am I going to get out of this? Because I, well, yeah, well, the, the the trick is is you can't meet a choleric student with knowledge, right? That's 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 the trick I found is that you know you, if you if you get engaged in them, they they've got you. Yeah. Um, the the trick I have not figured out is how to avoid getting pulled into their question, right? How how to redirect that. Yeah, I, I would say from, I mean, I had a, I, I have a very particular memory of when I, I stepped into a math class that um, the, a teacher had left, um, and the class was really upset because they did not understand factoring, and I had the choleric in the class, like yes. standing up and saying. We were not taught how to factor. It's so confusing. We do not understand this. And I had to say, all right, sit down. I will show you. And, you know, so, and I, sh- I proved to the class, I said, this is how you factor. This is how you do it every time. And, it, you, know, you, follow, you know, this is what you're trying to do. And there's an element of factoring where you have to kind of guess sometimes. There's an element of of estimation maybe. And, and so I laid it all out and, and the, it was as if I had earned that, like, Oh, this person is an authority. This person knows what they're talking about. And then, then, and then the choleric student, she, she piped down and she, she, you know, everybody was like, okay, we're, we're, we're back in the, you know, in the traces or we're back in the, we know what we're doing. And we, we're being led by someone who knows what they're doing. And it, that seemed to resolve. Right. Well, there's always a machine that happens. The cleric challenges the teacher. If the teacher is skillful with the cleric, the phlegmatic is like, wow, you know? Yeah. That, you know, um, I find it fascinating how these things kind of build on each other, too. And how a skillful teacher, one that I am not, can actually engage the students in their temperaments. Yeah. Right? To actually... Um, right. And the thing about the melancholic is what's really interesting to me is that you can't appeal to them to be your mm-hmm. friend. You like you. I mean, you you build you build that over time. So, um, in my experience, it was it was trying to get them to talk about it, like a math. I mean, again, I'm, my lens is kind of math. So, like. How would you do this problem? You know, what what do you see as the first step, and and to get them talking about their process, and then to walk, you know, walk with them as they did the problem. The cleric would never want me to walk with them. They wanted me to say you got the right answer or not, 
Right. You know what I mean? It was a very different gesture. And I'm not saying I have all the answers to how to deal with the temperaments, but it, you know, the choleric wanted yes, no answers. The melancholic wanted me to show them the process and work with them and, and, and say, you know, things are okay. Like yeah. this is confusing and, and validate it. Well, how about in the humanities, Taylor? How did, how, how do you meet those students in, uh, you know? I'm thinking more about group projects. Because I think that that okay. was always really diagnostic for me as a teacher, was to put students in groups, sometimes groups of their own selection and sometimes groups that I selected. And I found that a lot of times if there was a, a like, you know, kind of phlegmatic student that they would really shine in group work. And that they, they typically had yeah. almost like a good eye for appointing people to what they were good at you know, kind of unexpectedly, you know, that huh. they were really good at looking around and saying, wait, that person is a really good idea. We should listen to them in this area. And um, maybe like kind of identifying mm -hmm. others' gifts in group projects. Um, you know, I think that these, for my experience in a humanities class, these things, the kind of working with the temperaments came out, especially when a student was struggling right and you needed to like really dig in get on their you know get eye to eye with them and try and figure out like how to motivate effort or how to motivate the the work that needed to be done right um so i found that you know it's interesting i found with cleric students i actually do just go head to head with them you know or like i kind of feel like i need <laughs> yeah. to prove prove why i'm there standing in the front of the room as a teacher and I found that then a lot of times and it was like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, the dogs have gone into the cage, we've battled and we've come out and, and then the, then the dust is settled and then we can move on. Um, I think that sanguines all like always seem to respond really well to like a particularly fascinating character and like, diagnosing personality and trying to distill motivation when we were looking at literature. Right. And so, you know, giving them a chance to write about that topic or like, like, you know, giving them a chance to, you know, kind of explain or dig into or analyze why a behave, why a character behaved a certain way. I felt like really appealed to sanguine students. Um, I mentioned mm. phlegmatics working in a group, right? You know, if I had a phlegmatic student who I felt like I was kind of losing in the class and it was like, this is a great opportunity for group work. Because you're not going to raise your hand in the big group, probably. You're going to be more hesitant to do that. And then finally, I think like melancholics, like they just want you to get down. And or my perception was that they just want you to like get down in the weeds with them and just be like, oh man, that's awful. Like, gosh. Oh, like really just like mm. get into it with them and like, gosh, that sounds hard. You know, <laughs> and um, hi, Oren. Um, and so I, I felt like with with um, with melancholic students, that was maybe like, you know, they just kind of want you to 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 see to see them. And kind of like Matthew was saying, like they really benefited from like going step by step through the process together. Right. And I think that was trust building yeah. with them and maybe then empowered them to do it alone yeah. the next time around.
So do each of you have like an example of when the temperament saved you in the classroom? When you were struggling and you... Yes, okay. So there's there's actually two different lenses. So, um, you know, one thing I can say is your temperaments come out very strongly on a hike when you're outside. So, you know, I used to you know, if I was hiking in the front of the group, I'd have all the cholerics like half a step behind me, like, go on faster, go, go, go. You know, they were always at the front. And then you had, so you you had a separation of personality, of, of temperaments, you know, in when you're hiking. Oftentimes the melancholics would be usually towards the back, usually only wanting to go downhill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uphill was, up, uphill often brought the, all the complaints and, um, but not to totally say that, but it, you know, it, it was different. It, I would say, I, I can't point to one particular moment in the classroom, but it, the interesting thing in high school is that there is then this other lens of the planetary types that come in, which is on top of the temperaments, the four temperaments. Well, just be, before we get there then, I guess maybe to get a little bit more direct to my question here, when you started teaching, well, I guess you did because you were a Waldorf student. You already had a pretty good operating knowledge of the four temperaments. Yeah. Because I, I would be curious what it would be like for a teacher who had, who had had some teaching experience and then had been shown this four temperaments and then how they might have taken that information, you know, back to their classroom. Well, yeah, I... But again, since you have, you have no real experience of that, so I'll, I'll, I'll digress. I mean, Taylor, was there a moment when... Uh, I mean, again, again, you were a Waldorf student. Did you always have an operating idea no. you did of the temperaments? I knew that there... my mom used to always say that one of my one of my best friends was a phlegmatic, and I was like, I don't really know. I mean, I like, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> gotcha. So, like, after you did your, you had done some teaching, and then after you did your teacher training and had the knowledge of the temperaments, did did that change, or did it did it did occasionally that toolbox open for you when you needed it? Because my teacher training was just really in high school training, I feel like we didn't go into the temperaments, right? We were focused on the planetary yeah, types. I, so I feel like... Yeah, we did focus more on the planetary types. Yeah, I so I feel now, like yeah. my understanding of the temperaments came more just from collegial work as a teacher in the elementary school. Because I was for a little while teaching Spanish. And they especially came up in... Um, and these really helpful subject teacher meetings where you would meet with a particular class teacher, go through each student and just maybe look at common behavioral things that were being seen. And it, it just came up more in conversation with colleagues. And uh -huh. um, I think that one of the one of the biggest areas actually where I saw the temperaments kind of playing out was in like in group play, like either I did these after school basketball, you know, um, I guess like an after school basketball camp with fifth graders. And I did that for a couple of years. And that was really where I saw these things playing out the most clearly. Um, I think I kind of came into sports in my head with kind of, you know, everyone who comes to this should come with like, you know, a genuine drive to get better. And that should be the motivating factor for someone to be participating in a sport. And I think that I very quickly learned all of the different 
and and I saw it tied into temperaments with why kids wanted to participate in activities with their peers, right? Like phlegmatics just yeah. wanted to be a part of the group, right? And even though that was their motivating factor, as long as they were hanging out with their friends, they were stoked and they tried really hard, right? And it was like, but they their buy-in was not for individual performance. Uh -huh. I'm going to meet this goal. I'm going to go faster. That wasn't why it was, it was more communal, more peer driven. And, um, mm -hmm. and I feel like learning and seeing, you know, just in like an almost extracurricular setting, how all of these temperaments were playing out, I think was really helpful for me in understanding them. And the other thing is we, you know, one of our previous colleagues, um, Everett Cole, his research for his training was on coaching and coaching the temperaments in sports. And and mm, I nice. um, I never actually got to read his work, but I was always really curious about what he came up with as far as, you know, we have all of this because so much work has done in Waldorf education and giving resources to teachers. I feel like there is a lot of information out there about how to best work with the temperaments in the classroom. But for to carry that kind of lens out of the classroom, then to extracurricular activities, especially sports and movement, I thought was a really cool idea. So pros and cons, right? I'm guessing that having this taught to you was of benefit. And we can definitely name benefits. Were there ever times when this knowledge got in your way in the classroom? You maybe focused on it too much? Well, I mean, I think it's easy sometimes to to re, to see a student with an old picture, and the risk is to always see that student in in that in that way. It's it's a criticism that I remember my sister feeling, and a lot of people I've heard. You kind of get cast in a way, yeah. and then you're kind of known to be this way. And then... I like the one interview about you. You were the... Yeah, exactly. You were kind of a jerk in high school, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was so much about jerks, but like you, you say, you, you say, oh, you know, you're a phlegmatic or, you know, or my... So I remember having a student who she did tend to kind of just be phlegmatic. She would do the minimum, you know, she would do good work, you know, um, but she wouldn't push herself. And then, and then for one of the main lessons, like, okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to, I'm really going to try. You know, I'm, she, she was in a group of, of very, of very, a lot of clerics. So, so there was a lot of stiff competition to who had the best main lesson book and who, and instead of just kind of, you know, going with the flow and, and taking a, a backseat to it, she really pushed herself. And then when the grades came out, you know, she was like, did you see that I put in extra work? So I guess in terms of, it's not a hindrance, but I think This is why teachers, they don't want you talking to students about their types. Right. And it's not, we, you never do that. You yeah. never talk to the students no. about what their, what we think that their, you know, their, their temperament is. But, you know, it's, it's, it's something that for a teacher, I feel like I run the risk of always saying, oh yeah, well, that person tends to have this gesture and, 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 and the, the, the real work, the deep work is to 
always evaluate. Is this person still exhibiting that? Or is this person really changing? And I, so I'm trying to say through my story, maybe it was a little bit long-winded, is that you know, students can change. Students can manifest different aspects of their temperaments. And if they have a goal, they might even become more choleric to, to reaching that goal or, or so on. Or I had another student who at the, you know, said, I want to learn calculus, but it was like June. And I said, well, I'm sorry, it's the end of school. You, you were in a class, you know, that wasn't teaching you calculus and now you need to, you know, learn it in, from a friend. And, and they did, you know, so we all as human beings have this ability to change, consciously change our temperament. That's and, the key word, I guess, yeah. that I'm shooting for. Yeah. And I think that, again, this is, it's like a mixture of colors, right? It's like a brown where like there is red, there is green, there is blue, there is yellow. All of those colors are present in it, but a reddish brown has a little bit more red. Right. right. And a greenish brown has a little bit more green. Right. And and I think that is the case with the temperaments. Right. That it mm. is a balance of all of these things. And at different points in your life, maybe one will maybe rise and be the most prevalent. Right. Right. And um, I don't know if I necessarily I, I kind of just agree with Matthew that I think it's tempting to pigeonhole people. I think it's tempting to just. Take the you know, just assume. And I think that is the challenge that Steiner presents us with is, you know, we had a conversation recently about anthroposophy where we're, we kind of, we're coming back to, oh yeah, this is an individual thing. This is something that every single person has to take on for themselves, walk into out of freedom and continue to work on it every single day. And that's hard. I don't do that. Yeah, that is hard. I don't, I don't, unfortunately take on that work every day and i think that as teachers to truly be meeting the human beings in front of us that is what we have to do is every single day come ready to see you know the truth in front of us right. and and meet the kids as they are on that day and um you know i think that these the the greatest tool that I see in the temperaments is how to harness that energy for the good, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like the fire of the choleric needs to be doused with water. It is like, how do we turn the fire of the choleric toward the group goal of everyone learning together, right? And it's the same for the sanguine, for the phlegmatic, for the melancholic. Like, it is how do we harness this? How do we harness what is being expressed? Right. And, mm -hmm. and use that, turn that energy in a, in a positive direction. And that is one of the beautiful things, I think, under the surface of what we talk about with community of a Waldorf class that over eight years, they're all together. They're seeing every step of the way. They're seeing each other face challenges. They're seeing each other work through, you know, experience loss, all of these different things. And that all of the temperaments have something to learn from each other. Yeah. And I would also say the temperaments, I think, are as a whole related to the etheric part of the human being mm -hmm. more than the astral. Because when you talk about the birth of the astral, the birth of the feeling life of a person, 
you know, that's what we're talking about in adolescence. And that's where then you get this new lens, the lens of the planetary types. So totally. you, you, you will always have, I mean, even adults, even, even in the faculty room, I remember having conversations about, well, what's your, what's your, you know, temperament. And it's, it's again, it's you, you temper it with consciousness and you say, well, I grew up as a, you know, whatever, sanguine or phlegmatic or whatever. But, but that's just one aspect of, of your being because when, you're, when adolescence comes and you have your emotional life, then that often gets viewed through a different lens, which is the planetary. Planetary types generally, again, just like with temperaments, we all, each human being has all planetary types, uh, some aspect, but generally two, one or two are more developed than others. So in, it's just as with, with temperaments, you have one predominating or maybe two, but, but everyone's a mixture of all, all things. So that's the same as with the planetary types. And generally they fall into the categories of the seven visible planets. Of course, we know that the sun is not a planet. The sun is a star. And so the sun is often, again, everyone has a sun being in within themselves. But again, these planetary types are kind of like different garments or clothes, you know, and so everyone has sun and everyone has every planet, but more one is usually predominant. So if I just read it very quickly, you have Mars, you have Mercury, Moon, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn. And so connected to these planetary types are metals and plants and grains, grains and days of the week. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, so then if we go just very quickly through them, Mars is often um, also red and is often looked at as, as an initiator or a doer. Um, Mercury is often a uh, innovator or a renewer. Catalyst. Yeah, a catalyst. Moon is often a, uh, an observer, a, con- a conserver, an evaluator, someone who reflects back very easily what's going on. Venus, often a nurturer and a caregiver. Jupiter is often characterized as a thinker and a planner, and Saturn is a researcher. Yeah. Um, right. So what's, what I find fascinating about the planetary types is we're really talking about people's emotional and thinking, like how they, it's the quality of their thoughts and and is, is it someone who likes to sit back and listen to the conversation? Is it the person who jumps in and says the first thing on their mind? Is it the person who kind of, you know, is totally silent and is taking everything in so deep and then like gives the one word summary at the end of class? Like that's really what we're talking about here. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, the way in which each of us engages uh, mentally with the world around us, I would say. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I always think about the planetary types in the workplace or like in a, in a group setting where there is a group collective goal. 
Right. Right. Of like who steps up to take on what tasks, who is more naturally inclined toward other tasks. I remember talking about how people who are, um, you know, are Venus are a lot of times caregivers, right? A lot of times work in early childhoods, right? Out of that nurturing, you know, being flexible, empathic. Um, and I thought what was, um, what was very interesting is just like in the temperaments, we can see, you know, kind of what can happen if they go unchecked, perhaps. Right. That the same thing exists in planetary types. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I can read through a couple of the ones that I have. So for Mars, um, at their at their best, they are efficient, you know, determined, have a lot of uh, dynamism in relationships, but they can be steamrolling, insensitive, not very empathetic, impulsive, maybe uh, quick to anger, right? Whereas Mercury, at their you know at their best, they're bringing life to the party. They can cheer someone up. They bring new ideas, bring vitality to a situation. And in their, you know, kind of going unchecked, Mercury can be distracting, scattered, non-committed, flitting, and unreliable. The yeah. moon in their, you know, kind of in their best are incredibly capable of listening accurately, recording details, really hearing a whole lot of information and sending back a very, very accurate, reliable record of what was said at their worst, the, the moon can lack inner depth, right? Or very little self-reflection. They can be so busy reflecting the world outward that they don't cultivate their inner life. Yeah. Venus, as you know, kind of this warm, nurturing uh, planetary type, they can be good listeners, sincere human, focusing on sincere human connection. Um, but unchecked, there can be a lack of practicality you know, very indulgent, caught up in feelings, caught up in sympathies and in tip and antipathies and be a little bit irrational. Almost done. Jupiter uh, at their best can be a visionary, right? Incredible leadership and at their worst can be arrogant and feel themselves to be superior. Um, Saturn at their best can provide insight, depth, very inwardly active at their worst. They can really, really like slow down a process. They can resist change. They can resist human contact, almost be kind of um, uh, drag their feet indecisive. Yeah. yeah. So have either of you used this knowledge of planetary types to shift a class? Absolutely. Con consciously. Consciously. Yeah. Absolutely. So you generally, and I, you know, this was how it was first presented to me in my teacher training was through the review of the day. So often in a main lesson, the first thing you would do would be half an hour of reviewing the previous day's lesson. And the way you go about that review is different depending on the, the planetary type of the student before you. So, um, so to go into that a little bit, you know, if you ask a moon, 
a, a moon a student, you know, what happened yesterday? They're going to pull out their notes and say, okay, well, basically you did this and then you said this and then that, you know, 933, you said this. And I mean, literally yeah. like a, a, it's like a, a pure mirror reflection of what you did, which, you know, has its place, but it's like the first, it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's what, what we did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, and then, so you draw out from each person, you know, eventually you'll, you'll get a Mars, you know, character coming in and saying, well, yes, but we were really studying, you know, how you, um, you know, uh, a process, uh, you know, so it's like you, we, we were doing this. We were, we, we were, learned this, but it's only part of a bigger process. Right, right, right. And I'm kind of, so, so you can, you can draw out, you know, the Mercury type will probably just start to, you know, say, well, what I thought was really important was, you know, and just start to chatter and say, well, you know, I had a really good conversation with my friend and then, <laughs> you know, just like all over the place. And oftentimes what I was taught and what I looked for were the students who, you know, didn't give the initial answer or, or the, the, you know, the literal answer, but who sat back and, and, you could often see them and they would wait. They would wait for their classmates to kind of paint the picture of the day before and say why it was important. And then usually you had, you know, your Mercury innovator kind of like saying, oh, but that connected to the class before that. And that shows this theme or there was some, you know, bridging of, of different lessons and carrying a little bit forward. But you would always at the end of the class have your Saturn like just nail it. But the whole point of that was blah, 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 you know, like a one word synopsis, you know, your Saturn student would just lay it out. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're talking about kind of be, being given specific tools for this around review. And I feel like I use this in class discussion, which has a similar flavor to review, but it's less about looking back and more about like, what's at hand in front of us. And I feel like maybe it lends itself to the subject matter, right? In English, a lot of times you open up a discussion, right? And I think what what I found was wide open discussion catered to some planetary types and left others just like, I have nothing to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas, you know, more structured discussion or like start with it wide open and then bring in more specific direction so that you're really drawing everyone in. And that as a teacher, maybe I felt like I had a responsibility to make sure that my lesson was kind of hitting on all planes, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. as not to leave, so so that I could get an honest assessment of the kids in front of me. Right. Right? I would also, in my lessons, I would also try to point out and, excuse me, have someone do something that wasn't characteristic of their way of being. So I should just go back a step and say, in my mind, these, these, you know, if you, if you look at this as kind of six planetary types around the circle and then the sun in the center, they form three axes. So, yes. so the Venus and the Mars are related in the sense that, um, as it says, like Mars talks and Venus listens. Mars acts and Venus receives. Like there's there's those gestures. I mean, we also associate male and female to those two particular planetary types. But 
you know, so I could look around the room to go back to how I would use this and say, oh, you know, this person is a Mars type. If I ask a question, they're probably going to say, raise their hand and give the answer right away. So I would say, okay, when we do this math problem, everybody writes the problem on a piece of paper. No one shouts out. And then I'm going to look at the the person who usually receives and ask that person to give the answer, right? Or, or I can imagine if you're, I mean, I would also do this too. I would give in, in the morning, I would do like tongue twisters and I would, you know, mercury, you know, types would love t- tongue twisters. They, they would just start, you know, saying it right away, but someone like a Saturn type, um, oh, sorry. So, you know, a Jupiter. Or Jupiter, you know, so I would, I would, I would call on them, you know, I would play to their weaknesses as well as their strengths is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, yeah, just to go through it, you know, so Venus, Mars, you had Saturn and the moon, and I think Jupiter and Mercury were, as I understand yeah. it, those were the, the three axes. Yeah. And I think that even, you know, even though this is a, tool set that's most specifically used for adolescents, I think that it is still very applicable when assigning when assigning roles, right? When assigning and you could think of that in any way. You could think of, you know, if you are have a student council and you're trying to assign like who is going to be doing these different tasks, right? There's there's really a a recognition of what individual gifts each stu- each person has. And I feel found like we actually talked a lot in my training about the way that these express in a faculty of teachers of like who is constantly volunteering right who is just like you know who is always the one you send in to you know talk to a student you know really hear their emotions who who is who do the students always want to pour their hearts out to right who is the one who is always volunteering to be the one who speaks at an event who is the one taking notes? Who is the one recording what's talked about and and really accurately making sure that everyone is accountable to what they say they're going to do, right? And so that there's also an element of group structuring using these types as a way to put people. And I think, you know, Matthew's onto something that I think in adolescence, like you, you don't want someone to just get really, really cozy as a Jupiter and just you know, only lean into that, right? You want to draw, especially, you know, using these poles as a tool, draw people out of those maybe comfortable tendencies, right? But I think once you reach adulthood, that there is something to be said for recognizing your gifts. Yeah. (laughs) And trying to align maybe like putting yourself in situations where you your gifts can really shine. Is that a temptation for teachers to teach to the students' oh. gifts? I mean, is this is this consciousness around the planetary types allowed you to meet the students more because you don't meet them only where they want to go? Oh, I mean, I think it's a temptation always of like, oh man, if that kid wants to participate and they do a great job summarizing why wouldn't I just let them say it every day? Because they do such a good job, right? But but you have to actually, I think you have to look at like, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to, you know, 
give the person who really likes yellow a chance to wear yellow every day. Yeah. <laughs> that terrible example that just came off the cuff. But I do think that there is always a temptation to let people lean into what they're good at. There is always a temptation to, for the kid who would always rather draw a picture, say, of course, for this assignment, you don't have to write anything. You can draw a picture. That's fine. And do you think the, the skill kid, that you're taught, do you think that is you know, a, a benefit to the student? I'm guessing yes. I mean, absolutely. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, just like the temperaments are so useful in – um, you know, and, and, and it's like, I think that's something I think about, you know, even when you get into maybe the more conventional relationship with the Zodiac, right. Of like the, these ways of categorizing people are a tool and they're not all defining. They're not going to be accurate 100% of the time, but it's a tool, right? And so if, if for you as, um, gosh, I'm like, I know absolutely nothing about the Zodiacs. I'm like the worst millennial woman ever. <laughs> um, all of my friends are like, oh, I'm a Virgo rising and I've got a, a Saturn sun or, you know, a Sagittarius sun. I'm like, uh, but, I'm a triple Sagittarius you know, myself. So <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's my rising sign and my sun sign. Yeah. And uh, one of the other ones. <laughs> there you go. But but I think what I was going to say is that like it's it is it is a a toolbox and a language that you can buy into right and if you buy into it and you use it in its context then it's really helpful but it's not everything it's not all consuming it doesn't it's not a catch all and yet I've found that this is a really helpful toolbox for working with adolescents right right. For me, I've seen it happen in faculty meetings. It's kind of the classic time to like look around the circle and be like, okay, temperaments. Okay, let's go around temperaments. Okay, planetary types. Let's go around planetary types. But the thing that I find most interesting is that it's rare, or at least maybe I should say it speaks for myself. I have the hardest time putting myself into these categories. But when I ask my peers, they're like, oh, you are definitely this. And I'm like, really? That's how you see, you know, that's how you see me? So, oh. So, anyway. Um, yeah. It's, what What it's, is Matthew? What do you think, Andy? Oh, geez, no, I'm not a, I, I'm... <laughs> No, not even when I risk it. Uh, well, geez, I'd have to think about it. And thinking isn't a good radio uh, thing. Ah, uh, geez, what is Matthew? Maybe, maybe we can go with what Matthew is not. Matthew is not Venus. <laughs> He's not nurturing, no. <laughs> He's, He's not, not Mercury. Okay. I haven't really experienced him as Mars myself. I don't know. I mean, this is the hard thing, right? You might have a little bit of Mars in you. Yeah. Maybe some Saturnian, you know, the mathematical, yeah. the, the precision. Yeah, but I I feel like there's a bit more of... Um, I feel like there's more emotion in you than the Saturn. Yeah, there is. So, if I may, like, I... I think I, I grew up, I mean, I was pretty sanguine 
my body type is sanguine. And then, and then when someone first told me that they thought I was a Jupiter, I was like, really Jupiter? But I think that's actually probably yeah. right. I, I think I'm probably a, a, a yes. strategic planner. You know, I, I definitely, I don't like dealing with all the details and the actual doing. I'd rather just plan it all out and have someone else <laughs> take care of the details. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you draw people to you, I think that too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd prefer to plan things and I mean I like building things too, but I'd rather draw the architectural drawings and have someone else build the house kind of. Thing. All right. Well, what about Taylor? What's what's Taylor then? I don't know. Well, I think it's harder to define yourself. I think it's, it's probably easier to see it in other people than ourselves. I don't know. Well, I mean, I see you doing a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I see a lot of Mars, a lot of courage and enthusiasm and doing things, determination. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, is that for each of these classifications, there's, there's strengths and there's dangers and mm -hmm. it's um you know right away when you say well what are you i think there's this element of i'm not any one thing so you yes. have to you, you have to kind of be a little bit more humble and say okay well i know there's probably something that predominates right so we also know people have I, an ideal in their mind that they totally imagine themselves as you know i i think i'm kind of a combination between Mercury and Mars would be my thought. To say that then, you know, this is again, if the temperaments are kind of more on the life, body, etheric realm, grade school, and planetary mm -hmm. types are more on the astral realm, you know, high school level, you know, when we, when we achieve maturity at 21 to 28, whenever that actually happens, you know, we really actually then go into this third level of, of viewing, which is the, the Zodiac constellations. And I also don't claim to know anything about them, but I do have a piece of paper here that, that talks about kind of the, the, the positives and the dangers of each of the constellations. So I don't, not sure if we really want to go into all of that, but there is then as an adult in kind of your, I, I, would imagine it's kind of more of your ego, but mm -hmm. it, but, but it, it does have to do with your deed and your wills and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, if I just talk about myself as a Pisces, the, the higher manifestation of, of these characteristics for a Pisces like me is empathetic, compassionate, sensitive, imaginative, psychic, agreeable, flexible, idealistic, sincere listening, and, uh, and seeks healing. If I go to the shadow side or the lower manifestation, thin skin, moody, oversensitive, difficult to distinguish self and other, emotionally unstable, overwhelmed. And the characterization by Steiner for a Pisces is, is the word destiny. Now I got this out mm. of a I got this out of a summer conference led by somebody there. So I haven't done a lot of that, but there's just so many layers then. I mean there's three levels, there's three layers 
of, of lenses to view a human being through. And, and I, I find that all fascinating. And yeah. Well, and I think that ties into what Steiner talks about a kind of like I almost in my head and it, it may be an error, but I have this image of like, once you complete this, you know, once the physical body grows and there's like this unlocking, you know, there's almost like this unlocking new potential that has like, you yeah. know, at every stage there's this unlocking. And so it almost makes sense that with each unlocking that then we're, we are viewing the human being in more complexity, right? As the yeah. human being becomes more complex, these layers become more complex, yeah. right? And, then, and I, like, yeah. And isn't there, isn't there also an element of like, if, if you look at like theosophy where the, like the human being is like going, leaving earth, right? The spirit is leaving earth, right? Uh -huh. And there's like, this element of, it also, there seems to be, to me, to be an element of that, of like almost working through the cosmos as you are then fully incarnating on, on this earth. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of processes to go to incarnate and then to excarnate, to come yeah. and to go. Yeah. I mean, I think the other, the task that we have as human beings is, is to consciously work through each of these layers and say, okay, well, if I characterize myself as a sanguine, then how do I find a deeper tie? Or if I find myself as a melancholic, yeah. how do I put myself out there and not just think about myself, right? And, and, and at each level, if, if, I, if you're Mars, how do you become more listening rather than doing? Well, that's, the, that's the goal of a fully imagined human being, right? That you can take on those. Yeah. You, you could slip into them like different yes. costumes. Right, yeah. Yeah for different I mean like you you want to be a Mars consciously consciously right and and different situations like I remember when I was training you know for for rafting for example like you want directed leadership and then you know some 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 moments call for directed leadership like you want to be Mars Everybody in a crisis on the right side yeah. yeah like do this now or because we're in danger yeah. but if it's if you're in a meeting you know it's better maybe to you know in, unfold some different you know aspect of yourself and maybe put more emphasis on listening or sympathy yeah. or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, it is so true of like having these capacities just available, right? To call on in different settings. Yeah. And to be able and to consciously... I think that is, yeah. And I think that's another piece is for me, environment plays so much into how I see myself behaving and manifesting, right? Like Matthew, you're talking about like, if you're on a raft, you probably are bringing a lot more, you know, Mars to the table than right. you are trying to convince your son that he should put on a jacket when it's 20 degrees outside, right? Right, right. You know, and it was, I found that was the same for me, like trying to get someone to do what needed to be done in the classroom was very different than basketball practice, right? A lot of times I would leave the classroom, get in my car, and I would, like, turn on some just really, like, aggressive music to, like, get, you know, get riled up to go, you know? <laughs> it was almost like putting on a costume it would also to seem, go into that different space. It would also seem helpful to me to think of, I know that sometimes horses get stuck. You can't lead them, right? So the trick is to... Mm -hmm. Lead, push them to the side a little bit so they kind of take a step to the side and once they take the step to the side they're off balance and then you can kind of move them forward yeah hmm. you know to kind of meet a stuck student you know you have some tools to kind of well let's just let's go over here instead and before you know it they're going in the direction that you had wanted them to go <laughs> or maybe not and i think it is interesting because while these are categorizing 
like lenses, we keep saying that word, it does come back to like Steiner really believed, like Matthew said, each student is its own, is their own species. Each human being is their own species. And these are tools that get more complex as, as someone ages, but like every single, a Waldorf teacher is empowered to meet every single individual student where they are as individuals. Right. Right. And that these, these names, these qualities are a helpful way to inform how one is meeting these students. But they are still individuals. It's not like, okay, gathering up the sanguines for some <laughs> sanguine time, you know. <laughs> these, you know, these these students are together in community. It brings me back to Steiner having, you know, mixed genders in the classroom together. Yeah. Right. And it's like he he valued the diversity of a student population as far as behavior, experience, you know, all of these things. He he really believed there was something to be gained by putting students who are different physically, different behaviorally, all of these things together. And that that was a profound learning environment. And that was a gift to those students for them to learn from each other and from their teacher. Yeah. This concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, much more, visit our website at hardbeeswax.transistor.fm. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can always email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. Hard Beeswax would not be possible without the expertise and time of Andy Smith, our producer and sound whisperer, who has been our hype man from the beginning. And lastly, thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in with us and sharing in the absolute magic brought by our guests. Your support means the world to us. You have our utmost gratitude.